Hey, it's Jamie Scrimger. When I became a stepmom, I quickly realized that while moms are encouraged to keep it real, there's a big double standard when it comes to stepmoms. So I decided to start the conversation myself. Thriving as a stepmom doesn't just come from conversations about being a stepmom now. Here we dive into marriage, relationships, personal growth, and more. My mission, inspire you to live a kick-ass life while bringing you along as I create my own. This is the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Guys, I cannot believe that we have got this guest on the show, not one, but two times. Today, I'm talking to Nedra Twab-Glover, licensed therapist and best-selling author. I can't believe she's back. So she is the best-selling author of Set Boundaries, Find Peace, a roadmap for understanding and moving past family struggles and living life your way, and her new book, Drama Free. So I'm going to link the first episode in the show notes that I did with her, but wow, am I ever grateful to be able to not only have one conversation with this woman, but two. She is such a light, has so much strength and so much wisdom. And today we're talking about dysfunctional families and how so many of us think that our families are normal, but we've really normalized dysfunction. We dive into how to break generational trauma, setting boundaries with your parents and family members, the shame people feel when they have to admit that there is some dysfunction in their family. Cause I don't know about you, but I usually like to just pretend everything is great. Why sometimes playing the victim feels better than accepting control. And then we dive into how to repair relationships, well, broken down relationships with children post-divorce and the trauma that kids experience when their parents divorce and not just thoughts on parental alienation and other challenges that blended families face, just how your language around your step family experience can affect your blended family experience as a whole. Now, one of the things that I really loved about Nedra's book is that she has dedicated an entire section to blended families, which I think is so important because as anyone in a blended family knows, it is extra complicated. All right. This one is too good for a long intro. Let's dive in. Alrighty. Well, welcome to the podcast. I have to tell you your interview on the podcast. I think it was like a year and a half ago at this point, maybe a bit more was one of our top episodes. So everyone is going to be excited to have you back. Wonderful. I will be happy to be back. I'm happy to be a top Yes. A fave. You are a fave. Wonderful. Before we really dive into it, I want to have you unpack a quote from your book. Oh, okay. Because it hit for me, but I feel like it's something that people don't fully understand Mm -hmm. and I would love to unpack it. So you say healthy boundaries give you peace even when the other person hasn't changed. And I think that people don't fully get how you can get the peace from your boundaries. I don't know about you. I feel like I talk to a lot of people who are waiting for people to change, like trying to get the other person to change. It doesn't work. (laughs) There's a lot of peace in accepting that other people and situations will not change with people. Mm -hmm. And then from there, deciding if and how 
to show up in those situations. What we often do as a regular practice is go back to those situations and we're shocked and surprised. Oh my gosh, this person was exactly how they were last time. How dare they do it again? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, they're so shocking to me. (laughs) Yeah, you can't change them. You can't change the patterns that you have in that relationship sometimes, but changing yourself and how you show up is a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And we underestimate the power of that. I'll give you an example. There's a Chipotle near me. And to save time, my go-to is to order through the app. Each time I order through the app, they forget my fajita vegetables. <laughs> and I have to get in the line and say, hey, you forgot my fajita vegetables. Here's what I recognize. One, it's a pattern. Two, it still saves me time because my bowl is mostly ready. And I could just pop right up to the front and say, hey, can I get some fajita vegetables on the side? So that's my routine. It's not to go in and say, oh, my gosh, you all don't need to make orders. If you forget the vegetables, you need to call me. You need to do all these things. What I have started to do before I get home and I'm upset that those vegetables aren't there is check my order. This is the thing I'm changing. I'm checking my order to make sure that what I ordered is actually on my bowl. When it is not, I am walking to the front. I'm not getting back in line. (laughs) I'm walking back to the front to say, hey, here's my order. I didn't get the things that I asked for in my order. Mm -hmm. That is so good. Yeah, it's very true. I have a lot of stepmoms who I work with and you know, they're in maybe a higher conflict situation with the ex or just different parenting values or whatever's going on. And every time something happens with the ex, they're surprised, they're shocked. So they come to the chat room and they're like, she did this again. And she's like, they're, you know, again, 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 pattern, a pattern. Right. And, you know, so I'm really about, you know, saying, okay, like let's be proactive and not reactive with this. Because I think when we expect anything different, you know, when you get that full body reaction to someone in your life, either mistreating you or not showing up the way that you expected or whatever the pattern is. And then you kind of react emotionally. And it's like, well, you knew it was going to happen. Like, let's stop being surprised when that same thing happens. I can think of so many things like this. Oh, reminds me of my mother visiting. Yeah. We live in different states. And I remember I used to ask my mom, do you need anything, you know, grocery wise before you come? No, no, I don't need anything. I'm really easy. Look, here's a clue. Anybody who says they're really easy is not. Okay. That's the first thing. (laughs) And so then she would get to our house and it would be like minor things like, oh, you don't have Miracle Whip? No, you didn't say you wanted Miracle. You don't have Orange Pop? No, we only have. So those were, you know what? In the future, when she comes, she will say, I don't need anything. I'm really easy. But guess what I know to do? I will have Miracle Whip and I will have Orange Pop. (laughs) And I'm going to throw in some Oreos (laughs) because (laughs) we will not redo the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's huge power in that, right? Just being able to like predict because we know, you know, where things are going to go wrong. You know what to expect when you've been dealing with the same person over and over again. Mm -hmm. But then we let ourselves get surprised 
It's just, it's not effective. We want something to be different about the next time. We want something to be different about them. We want them to wake up and be a different person when in actuality, just like you wake up and you're yourself the next day, that's how other people wake up. A lot of stuff that they're doing, it's not intentionally to you. Mm -hmm. They are doing that because of who they are. Maybe they feel like, you know, I don't want to bother people too much. So I want to say that I don't need anything from people, even when I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That has nothing to do with you. That is their overall personality thing, maybe based on their birth order, the year they were born, astrology, things they experienced in life. I don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with you. Now you experience it with this person, but this has a lot to do with them, with blended families. You know, what I often see is People who have not worked through their ending of a relationship, acting it out with the children, right? So even if I caused the divorce, I wasn't ready for it. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to punish your dad. Mm -hmm. How am I going to punish him? Every single time I say him, I'm going to say something a little slick. Mm -hmm. Every single time he asks for this day instead of that day, I'm going to say no, even if I'm available. Mm-hmm. My feelings are hurt. So therefore I will hurt you. Now this other person is receiving it. However, it is really about me. Yeah, that's very true. And your healing process, right? Or lack thereof. True. A lot of stepmoms in my community are like, well, she decided to leave or she had an affair or, you know, it's been seven years. Like, what is the problem? Like, why is this still so high conflict? Why is she still treating us mm-hmm. like this? Why is she still A, B, C, D? And I think there's a, there's a grief process that's involved. There's, you know, lack of healing involved. It's just about who they are and how they process this change in their life. Mm. And unfortunately, when you're trying to co-parent with someone who's not healed themselves from that relationship, because even if it's not right for you, there's still a grieving process and all of that. You're typically the punching bag mm. and expecting anything different, expecting them to maybe heal or do the work when you know, some people just don't want to do the work, right? Yeah. Their motivation in life may now be to be petty towards you. That's my new goal Mm -hmm. (laughs) to ruin your life. You know, we can't set expectations for other people, especially when they don't have those same expectations for themselves. When I think about exes having hurt feelings, I think about this. In many cases, when we are no longer with people, we don't have any strings attached to them. Think about your high school partner, your maybe early college partner. You're able to, you know, maybe not even see this person on Instagram or Facebook. You have that option. However, when you have children with a person, all of those old hurts, all of those old things are in your face. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't had that break, because you don't even get a break, To process like, oh my gosh, my ex, because guess what? You have kids on Friday, you're going to see this person. And for some of us, it's really hard to simultaneously grieve and still show up in relationships with people. Mm -hmm. And so the way in which we're showing up is very bitter. We're upset. That's a part of our grieving process. Yeah. And again, like I said, with exes, when there's no kids, you're able to be like, oh my gosh, in high school, you know, this person did X, Y, and Z, and it's like 20 years behind you. But when it's 
your ex-husband or your ex-wife and this person is two years out and they've moved on. Like this is a lot of stuff you have to see and it can be constantly hurtful to a person. Mm -hmm. Because you have to see it. And I think it's, I say often, they'll see your life together. Say you've moved on and you're in the stepmom situation, your husband or whatever your relationship is. They're seeing the life that they maybe thought they would have. And even though they chose, mm-hmm. this is not the life for me, there's an element there that's like, wait, that's how it was supposed to be for us, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe that partner is showing up in a different way because, you know, I've learned something in every relationship that I've had. And I always say, when it comes to my husband, Darren, I know for sure I got a better version of him. I know for sure he has learned lessons and he shows up in a different way, right? So I think that must be really hard for exes to see. And it's in your face. You're right. Yeah. And there's this idea of why couldn't you do that for us? Why couldn't you be that for me? Mm -hmm. Why does she have to get this updated version of you who picks your socks up off the floor? I'm the person who yelled at you for five years. Now you're doing it? Wow. So in those situations, it can be really helpful for us to step outside ourselves and to have a bit of compassion. Mm Mm-hmm because it must be hard to watch. Yeah. It's like someone getting a position that you went for at work. (laughs) It's like, really? I have to watch this person in my job, in the job that I've worked hard to have? You know, it can be very hard to see that. And yes, there are other people involved, but at the end of the day, we're human. And our feelings come through sometimes in good and or bad ways. Mm-hmm. Do you think that sometimes it's easier for people who are in higher conflict co-parenting relationships to play the victim than to accept control over their lives? So you talked a little bit about that in the book. And I do think there's a lot of blame in co-parenting relationships when there's high conflict or they're doing this to me as opposed to being like, okay, like what can I control in my own life? Mm. Mm-hmm. I do think that there is some victimhood and that certainly is not healthy for a person and is not healthy for the situation. People engage in that sort of behavior because it absolves them from any responsibility of the situation. Is that why you say it's easier to be a victim than to take responsibility? Like it's just easier to not take responsibility and blame other people? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we are in relationships with people, we tend to side with them, right? Like, oh my gosh, like this person says all of this stuff about their ex and you start to view them in this way. Like, oh my gosh, but she was lazy and she was this and she was that. And you have to remember it's coming from a biased source. Mm-hmm. A person who is no longer in the relationship with this person who was deemed as terrible, but they wanted to marry them. Right. So it's like, is that completely true? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. Like this person had some great qualities at some point. And I don't care what the situation is. You could say, hey, we were 18 and she got pregnant and I had to marry her. Not true. You had options. You know, so if we could just have a little bit of compassion for the person who might be stuck in this, you know, this story of, This is how it was supposed to turn out and it didn't go that way. And woe is me, I am the victim. It is challenging to watch and often sad. When I think about the people in my life who have not made any movement in their struggle around whatever, 
it's sad to watch. You know, I'm no longer mad at them. I have a lot of compassion for that. You know, I hope that they at some point are able to overcome with their feeling. But I also don't have to tolerate it to some extent. There are some boundaries that I can have around how you treat me, despite what you still going through. I have a lot of compassion, but you will not mistreat me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. I was talking to Darren the one time and, you know, he was kind of on a a rant about some things that were going on and he had just kind of made some snide remarks about his past. And I said, okay, this is just aligned with your story right now. I'm like, there are so many good qualities. I mean, you guys were married for nine years. You had three beautiful children. Like mm-hmm. I know there were some good times and there were some good qualities, but we have to remember, like, it's weird to say, oh, my ex is so amazing. We had such a great life. Like it doesn't really fit your storyline now. <laughs> she made the best chicken. Yeah. And you're not going to say it to your new wife, but I tell stepmoms this, like they had romantic getaways. They had really great vacations. Yeah. They had great family dinners. Like mm-hmm. they had a life together. And for some reason it didn't work. But I think it's really easy to get caught up in that comparison and trying to go with that storyline that they were some, you know, evil wife or whatever the storyline is, because it, it makes it feel a little bit more comfortable and kind of getting to that, you know, tit for tat or the competition. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I, I think it's really important that empathy piece because. I don't know, like the emotions that come with being a stepmom, like I thought I knew I was signing up for. I had like child of divorce. I used to work at child protection services. I was, mm-hmm. you know, working with families in all of like co-parenting situations, doing all of the court, all of the things. Like I was very immersed in this space. Thought I knew what I was signing up for. Mm-hmm. But the way it feels, that's what you don't know, right? Like, you know, the facts, you're going to be with someone else's kids. You're dealing with an ex, you're dealing with that, but you don't know how it's going to feel when you're in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to look at the ex in that perspective too. Like they didn't know how this was going to feel seeing their partner with someone else or having someone else look after their kids. Doesn't make it okay for them to mistreat you or high conflict behaviors, all of those things. But You don't know what it's going to feel like. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm comfortable with anybody looking after my plants, let alone. (laughs) You have beautiful plants. (laughs) Let alone my children. So I can only, you know, I can only imagine, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, was the leaf, was it standing up or was it drooping over? You know, we do have some personal attachment to our children. Mm -hmm. And again, empathy. We have to build that and not necessarily tear this other person down. And I wonder how we could show up in those conflicts if there were more empathy. I once dated a person who told me that they never like had pictures of their exes like online or around anywhere because once someone sees what their ex look like or any of those things, they start comparing, right? Like, oh, you like girls with short hair. Oh, you like girls who have, you know, like all of these things. And I was like, you know, I think you're onto something. Mm-hmm. There's something about having this other figure there. And when there's kids involved, you're like, oh, my kids are saying that they really like the way that she does this, or they really like their dad, you know, this part of their vacations. And you're not, you're not necessarily hearing a full picture. And so it does take a lot of 
emotional maturity, emotional regulation, emotional protection to be able to withstand these sort of environments that we're not really prepared to be in this sort of sharing space. Mm-hmm. For sure. A lot of stepmoms get frustrated because the ex will not want anything to do with them at the very beginning, right? They want to meet them. Mm-hmm. They want to have this hearts and sparkles, co-parenting relationship, you know, like the matching jerseys, all the things, which are really, that's amazing. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. But you have a lot of people, a lot of moving parts that need to be in a certain place for that to come together. Right. And the stepmom's upset because mom's not there. Mom doesn't want to have that relationship. She doesn't want to engage with her. And I think it's important in these situations to remember that might be a boundary that she has, that she has to put in place right now to protect herself and her own healing, mm-hmm. right? So that she can show up for these kids and to co-parent with her ex without being triggered. Yes, I love that. Right? Maybe she's just not there yet. And it's not about you. It's about your role and where she's at in this whole situation. Absolutely. We do that with exes, you know, online where you say, oh, I'm going to block my ex because I don't want to see what they're, it's that same sort of thing. Like we can't block them necessarily, but we can say, I don't want to meet your new husband. I don't want to meet your new boyfriend. No, I do not want to come to this communal family gathering. I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. That is our way of, you know, blocking, muting. Yeah. And I think it's healthy, right? And there's almost the stigma against doing that or the judgment saying, "Well, well, we should all be there for the kids. 100% but maybe that's what they need to do in order Mm -hmm. to show up as their best for the kids. Absolutely. I want to tell you something. There was a time in my life when I would never spend money on pajamas. I didn't think I really had pajamas. I wanted to invest my funds into things that I would wear outside of the house. When I had to buy my first sheet set, I did not understand why someone would invest in anything but the least expensive sheets possible. That was me in my early 20s. Now that I'm in my late 30s, I realize just how wrong that was. Investing in bedding and loungewear and pajamas makes all the sense in the world. My go-to, as you know, is Cozy Earth. From their PJs to their loungewear to their temperature-regulating sheets made from bamboo viscose, Cozy Earth has helped me level up my quality of sleep and how I feel when I'm in lounge mode. The first thing that I do when I get home is either switch into a cozy bamboo jogger set or right into my PJs. Sleeping in my duvet cover and sheet set made from the premium viscose bamboo is like a freaking dream. Temperature regulating sheets are definitely the move. It is no surprise that Cozy Earth has made Oprah's favorite things several years in a row. Their products are next level and these are the softest clothes that I own. Right now, I'm actually in the process of going through all of my clothes and purging things that don't make me feel or look great. And most of my loungewear is out. I'm all about the cozy earth. The best part of the loungewear is that it just doesn't look sloppy. You can totally go out of the house and look completely put together. I even wore a set recording podcast last week. Now, Cozy Earth has given listeners of the podcast 40% off any purchase with the code COZYJAMIE40. That's CozyEarth.com and use the code CozyJamie40 for 40% off. www.CozyEarth.com and use the code CozyJamie40 for 40% off. So it's the new year, and while I'm not into New Year's resolutions per se, I'm all about setting intentions. And my intention for 2024 is to look and feel my best. And in order to do that, hydration is key. 
Personally, I try to have at least four 40 ounce Stanleys. So like, you know, those big tumblers that everyone's carrying around on Instagram. I try to have about four of those a day and it has changed the way that I feel. But it's not just water in the Stanley. At least one of my tumblers each day has Element salt in it. Element is my go-to electrolyte drink. I have been drinking it for years. They've been a longtime sponsor of the podcast. And honestly, I'm just obsessed. Now, a growing body of research has revealed that optimal health outcomes occur at sodium levels that are two to three times the government recommendation. Salt has got a bad rep, but it is not a bad thing. We actually need it. So Element is a delicious electrolyte drink that is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. And you know, most electrolyte drinks contain sugar and other junk, but Element is different. It has everything you need and nothing that you don't. There are no BS ingredients here. So 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. I drink it every single day. I drink it in the morning, either before or after a workout, before or after I indulge in cocktails. If I am having a little bit of a hangover, Element definitely helps. I'm actually sipping one right now because sometimes in the afternoon when I want a snack or a coffee, I go for an element instead. It's kind of like a little treat. I just love the way it tastes, specifically the watermelon flavor. Now, Darren and my stepson, Ethan, love the lime, but watermelon and raspberry are it for me. So if you are interested in trying element, go to www.drinkelement.com forward slash kickass stepmom. And if you order through that link, you'll also receive a free sample pack so that you can try all the flavors. So that's www.drinklmnt.com slash kickass stepmom. And if you order through that link, you're going to get a sample pack with all of the flavors. So this way you can figure out which one you love the most. Proper hydration is key. www.drinkelement.com forward slash kickassstepmom to get a free sample pack with purchase. There is a section in the book where you talk about in-laws and the in-laws still having that relationship with the ex. And that's something that's really something that a lot of stepmoms struggle with, right? They want to come in and they had this idea of what the relationship with the in-laws is going to be. And then there's the other woman still there, still having that relationship. And I see both sides to this, but I would love to kind of dive into your perspective. If we are authentic in our relationships with other people, do they end because somebody else broke up with them? Perhaps they do not. Perhaps because I've been authentic in this relationship, I still have a connection to this person, even if you're saying our connection has now shifted to co-parenting, right? So for grandparents walking into these situations, particularly if there are kids involved, is it not healthy for them to have relationships with everybody involved? I've heard of grandparents even being buffers. Mm-hmm. So we have to think about, you know, how is this negatively impacting? We don't need to assume that it will. How is it actually a negative thing in this family? Is this getting in the way of me building a relationship with my mother-in-law or in-laws or father-in-law? And perhaps it's not. 
Sometimes we assume it will. Oh my gosh, if I talk to my mother-in-law, she'll go and tell the kid's mom about this. And maybe they have a relationship that is somewhat focused on the kids, but also other things. So there's not a problem until there's a problem. Mm -hmm. There are times where we have these messy in-laws where they're like stirring a pot of this person is my favorite and you are the new person, right? That does happen. Or you'll have in-laws who may do some gossiping or some story sharing that they shouldn't do. Now, those things are problematic, but just an in-law who is saying, I want to have, you know, healthy relationships on all sides. I'm not seeing a problem until we have Mm -hmm. an issue with that, because here's the thing. Kids benefit from having healthy relationships with people. They benefit from having relationships with adults they can trust. So maybe the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you got to check your ego a little bit, right? Yeah. Because we have this idea of what a relationship should look like or what we thought they would look like. Like, I know I really struggle with that with my relationship with some of my family members, right? Like how I thought that's how that mother-daughter relationship should be or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when that's not the case, you know, your in-laws aren't maybe your second parents. They're just your partner's parents, right? And sometimes, yes, stir in the pot or whatever. But I think there's also, again, a grief process there that you're not having that first family experience, or maybe you're feeling a little insecure about being new or or whatever is going on. But I do think it's really important also to dive into that, right? Like, what is this actually about? Yeah. And when there's an issue, you have to discuss that. I've certainly heard of people having issues with in-laws where they may support the ex's family events and not say anything or, you know, all sorts of sort of secretive behaviors. And those things are problematic because if you're having a relationship with another person, of course, you know, I can't stop you, but I do want to maybe say, you know, you may want to say to your in-law that you maintaining this relationship with so-and-so makes me hesitant to develop this connection with you. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have that open conversation about it. Yeah, we can have a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, hey, I can determine how this person shows up in relationships. Going back to what you can control, what you may be able to control is your desire to be in a relationship with the person who's having this relationship with this other person. That's what you could control. You can't control who they have a relationship with, though. Mm -hmm. Totally. Now let's switch gear. I want to talk about dysfunctional families. Yay. Speaking of, (laughs) you like love to riff on that. So you have a list, you're talking about just different characteristics of a dysfunctional family. And I was laughing because I was reading the comments and someone had said, well, like, does anyone not have a dysfunctional family then? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was just cracked me up. But can you share a little bit about the characteristics of dysfunction in a family? And then we can kind of dive in from there. A quick answer is repeated, problematic patterns in the relationship. And there are a variety of problems that could happen that could be considered dysfunctional. There could be substance abuse issues. There could be neglect of the person or the relationship. There could be, you know, hurtful offenses with the expectation of you just forgiving and forgetting. There could be a whole assortment of things, but I think just the pattern 
of behaviors in a relationship that are problematic is what the dysfunction is. If we can't figure out a way to remedy what the challenges are, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we have a problem in our relationship occasionally. It's like we have a problem all the time. Yeah. So it can be dysfunctional if you're constantly challenging me about my weight and you're saying mean things about me, right? Like that is a persistent problem that we have in our relationship. Historically, when we think of dysfunctional families, we do think of addiction, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, alcoholic dad, enabling mom, that is the only way to be dysfunctional. Not true. If we get together every Sunday and argue the entire dinner and someone leaves crying, that's dysfunctional too. Mm -hmm. So there are all sorts of things that could be described as dysfunctional. And I will say in drama-free, I talk about sibling rivalry as a dysfunction. I talk about parents getting in the middle of sibling disputes in an unhealthy way. So, you know, either being passive about it, oh, your sister didn't mean that, that's not that big of a deal, or jumping in and saying, you need to apologize to your brother. You know how hurt he gets when you don't include him in X, Y, and Z. So, you know, even that is a dysfunction because it's a chronic pattern in the family relationship. So there's a whole assortment of things that can fall under the umbrella of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. I liked what you said about repeated behavior or apologizing, but nothing ever changes. Like it's like Groundhog Day, like the same thing happening over and over and over again. And, you know, people not caring about your experience. Mm -hmm. You know, about two or three weeks ago, I've been having a problem in a relationship with someone my entire life, basically. But three weeks ago, I read some old journals. And when I saw myself talking about the same problem in the same way, I'm like, I'm tired of it. There is no changing this situation. I've set the boundaries. I've had the talks. I've taken the break. I've done all the things. And as one of my friends told me, you've reached the end of your boundaries. <laughs> so it's like there. Wow. I like that. You have no more boundaries to set. Yeah. <laughs> you've tried every boundary I've heard of. You're the boundary expert. <laughs> Well, it's true, right? You get to the point where you're continuing to put yourself in the same situation Ugh. again and again. It's like, how many times can I do this? How many times do I have to have this same talk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it does get exhausting after a while, right? Especially when, you know, there's addiction involved. And that is the situation with this person. Because as we know with addiction, people are not very accountable for their behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I was I was drunk. I was high. I don't, I don't even remember doing that. It's like it was still very impactful. Your non-memory is my memory. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Do you find a lot of people struggle with shame when they have to set boundaries and maybe disengage from family members? You know, there's the kind of the grief and all the things. They struggle with guilt. They do struggle with some shame. In dysfunctional families, many people will tell you to stay in the dysfunctional relationship because they're staying in it. Now, what happens is when they're further removed from it, they're kind of biased in telling you to stay in the relationship, right? Like if your cousin is telling you to stay in a relationship with your mom, it's like, hey, it's not your mom. (laughs) This is your aunt that you talk to once a year. This is my mom every day. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting when people get in there, oh, you should do it like this because there is this 
you know, facade that they benefit from keeping up. Like we want to be this clan of people that have this image about us. And unfortunately, when there are problems that are not addressed, it's pretending. Mm -hmm. And it's not for the greater good, it's for the greater damage. Yeah, 100%. People will say, well, it's your mom, right? Oh, but it's your mom, Mm. but it's your parents. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. And it's almost like this, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, the sacrifice, right? Like I'm supposed to sacrifice my feelings and my emotions because Mm -hmm. it's a family member. Mm -hmm. They clothed you, they raised you. I always think that's interesting. It's like, I did not choose Mm -hmm. to come. That was actually just the legal obligation of bringing, you know, a child into this world. But there's just this kind of mixed up thing, like a child owes their parents. Mm. And then when they set those boundaries, there's a little bit of judgment or a lot. I am more interested in people who desire to have a relationship with their parents, not out of obligation, but out of love. Mm -hmm. That is so intriguing to me when people choose to be in relationship with family members. The obligation part, it's kind of like a job. It's like, I have to do these things. It'll be like this, 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 and this. There's no joy in that. When I want to talk to my sibling, when I want to talk to my mom, that feels like love to me. Mm-hmm. Darren and I do a lot of just talking about what our goal is as parents. What do we want for our family yeah. down the road? And our goal is that we want our kids to want to come over for dinner on the weekend. Mm. Like that's part of our big goal, right? Like we want them to want to come hang out with us and mm-hmm. like look forward to that as opposed to being like, you know, dinner. Ugh, I gotta go. And I hear it now, you know, the holidays are coming up and I hear so many adults like, ugh, I gotta go spend the holiday with my mom. It's like, oh my gosh, I I want my kids to be the kids who are like, I'm going to see my mom for Christmas. Uh Right. And so how I nurture my relationships with them now is really about them choosing me. Like I give them the choice now. Like my kids will say, well, my baby, she'll say, I never want to move out. And I'm like, you can, if you want to, if you don't want to, you know, we'll talk about that later, but it's (laughs) wonderful that you want to be that close to your mom. That really makes me feel special. Mm -hmm. I love that. Right. But you have the option to go. I don't want to keep you if you don't want to be here. I don't want you to feel an obligation. Mm -hmm. You're not obligated to live with me and take care of me. If you want to make the choice to my oldest baby, she said, when I get older and I have kids, I think I'm going to come back and live at home so you can take care of them. Wow. You trust me to to help you take care of your little babies? Wow. Thank you for that. Like we might get you a place down the street though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you don't have to make the choice to have me grandparent in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's your choice. Mm -hmm. And I'm not holding you to that. I won't bring this up. Like, well, in 2022, you said I won't do that. (laughs) But I want you to know that so many things about our relationship is a choice. So thank you for choosing me. I don't want you to feel obligated to be in relationship with me. I want you to feel like it is a joy and a pleasure and it is love filled. Mm -hmm. I honestly, you don't know how much that (laughs) I need to hear that just from my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. I've always been about just not being into the obligatory relationships, right? Like, oh, you have Mm -hmm. to go see your grandpa. You have to go 
do this with your mom. Like, oh, but she's your mom. I was just like, I just, it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a great segue into, you know, slipping back into the conversation about blended families and co-parenting. And something that happens a lot, probably more common than people like to admit is a breakdown in a relationship between a kid and a parent post-divorce. Maybe kid wants to spend more time at mom's house. Like they don't want to go back and forth. They don't want to do the visits. There's been a breakdown in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of stepmoms reaching out for support in that because, you know, they take it personally. They're like, why do they not want to come see us? Like this is their dad and all the things. And I'm really big on the mentality. Like these are people and not timeshares. Like remembering that, like these are people Mm -hmm. with wants and needs and, you know, kids really are collateral damage to the breakdown of that relationship. They did not choose two houses. They did not choose to have, you know, these new parents come in, all these things. But what is your take on that and any advice for parents who have had that breakdown? I think there's room for a family discussion. So often with blended families, it's kind of like a your house, my house mentality when it would be beneficial for the kids to have and experience of our family because it is still two parents even though we're in different houses and if you feel this way about being at mom's house or being at dad's house let's all talk about it especially if the other parent is safe now if there are some issues there where the parent is not safe we'll have to make that judgment call but if the parent is safe it's something we need to talk about you know everyone listening has been a kid before and sometimes you know as children as teens we choose what's to our advantage right so mm-hmm. if this person is more lenient guess who i want to go with <laughs> oh that's why i moved to my dad's <laughs> Yeah, that's why I moved over there. Not knowing, you know, I think about my childhood and not having a bedtime. I'm like, I didn't need that level of freedom. (laughs) I I thought that was a great thing. Terrible idea. Mm -hmm. Terrible. Yeah. I didn't know that until I became an adult. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I needed more structure. I really did because I made some bad choices not having it. Mm -hmm. So there are some things that, you know, kids may feel this is in my best interest And they don't always get to decide. Right. You may feel that this is in your best interest, but this is also shaping your relationship with this other parent. So if you're opting out now, by the time you're 20, you're going to be talking to this person twice a year. Mm -hmm. What do you say, though, to the parent who maybe doesn't have that cooperative relationship and the ex is like, yep, he's staying with me full time. And there's been that breakdown of relationship or maybe parental alienation. Mm. Is there some court involvement? Is there space for you all to maybe iron this out in court and not talk about it if you're not getting along? Maybe this is not something that you work through without mediation. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things in place that can help us with these sort of conversations. So it might be something, you know, legally I get every other weekend. So it doesn't matter If this kid doesn't want to come every other weekend, that is what the agreement says. So really, you know, thinking about I'm working with a difficult person here. I may not be the best person to have this cooperative relationship with them, but this may be a time where we need to seek some outside service to sort of help us through this. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. You know, you talk about incongruent realities between parents and children. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a powerful concept because we don't hear 
conversations like this enough, you know, both can be true. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. dad thinks that he's done A, B, and C, but child feels like dad has chosen a new family or like both experiences can be true. Mm -hmm. Why is that so important when mending your relationship with your children if you're having conflict? It's important to have those conversations because kids see their reality from their world and you see it from your world. So you're like, oh my gosh, I was in this relationship for 10 years. I got married when I was 20. I felt really bogged down. And then I just wanted to go out and live my life. And it's like, yes, those things sound really amazing, but terrible to your child who is a part of this process with you. And their experience of that is I was abandoned. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, maybe hard for a parent to hear But I think it's very helpful to help them understand the behaviors or the patterns that's happening in the relationship. Because even without people saying these things to us, they're acting it out. You know, there is some remnant of these issues in the relationship. So it can be really helpful to have these conversations and, you know, confront some of these challenges. Like while this was happening, this is my experience of it. Mm -hmm. As we get older, I hope we can start to see our parents as people when you are under their care. It's very hard to do that. All you see them as is a caretaker. But now that I am taking care of myself, I am feeding and clothing and housing myself. I can now look at my mother's story as, girl, you was 26. (laughs) I remember being 26. You know, when I think about my mother's life at certain ages in my life at certain ages, it is completely different experiences. And that's why we have different outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I was judging her based on being a caregiver. Oh my gosh. I didn't see 26. I didn't see 35. I didn't see her losing her mother when, you know, she was in her early forties. I'm like, girl, get up. Come on, let's go. (laughs) You know, I didn't, I didn't understand grief and depression. I'm like, okay, well, Hey, But now I get that. And so my ideas about these situations, they have, you know, not completely changed, but I understand them now because I have adult context to apply to them. As a child, I had no adult context. All I knew was, you know, take me to school, do this, do that. I didn't see you as a human being. I saw you as a parent. Now as an adult, I see you as a human being because I too have experienced things in the world. I know people who have experienced things in the world. And so my empathy for a lot of things that were problematic has now grown because of where I am in life. Yeah. Looking back on your childhood from an adult perspective, it's wild, right? It's so wild. It's like the moment when you realize that your parents really just were like kids just having kids. You know what I mean? They didn't know what the hell they're doing. We don't know what we're doing at all. Right? It just like humanizes the whole thing. And it can give you so much empathy. Well, still maybe at times needing to set some boundaries and, you know, decide what's healthy for you and all those things. But I do say that to a lot of the stepmoms that I work with. I'm like, you just remember these kids are going to grow up and they're going to look back on this from an adult perspective, mm. right? Like they don't see all these things right now. Like they don't see the stepmom coming in and showing up and supporting and, you know, doing all the things and maybe not getting any credit or, you know, the parental alienation or any of those things. But when they look back and when they have kids of their own, 
then they may be like, whoa, right? And look at it just from a totally different lens. Hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate the people in life who help us who don't have to. And I include those set of folks as step parents because they don't have to. They had no obligation. We were not born to them. So them coming to a game, them supporting us, it's like, wow, thank you for showing up for me. I didn't even know I wanted it. I didn't even know I needed it. I didn't even know how much I would appreciate it or come to expect that from people because you don't know how all these things are falling into place. And that is the challenge with raising children that you don't know like how all of this is going to turn out and what things will be impactful and what things won't be impactful at all. And you just do them. You just do them. You just do them. You just do them. And hopefully one day when this little person is like, I'm going to give them to their thirties, when they're like 30 or something, they say, you know, thank you for coming to my games. Mm -hmm. My kids now say it and I am shocked and shooketh. My kids, you know, they will thank me for stuff. Thank you for taking care of me the other day when I was sick. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. So sweet. Wow. They so sweet. Yes. I'm like, okay, let me go cry in my closet. Thank you. (laughs) I had a moment with my stepson the other day. And we've had probably the most challenging of all my step family relationships. My middle stepson is such a great kid. He's got such a strong personality and he challenges things, Mm -hmm. which makes him going to be so successful in life, but sometimes a little tricky to parent. Mm -hmm. So my daughter had said something and I said, girl, you only got one mom, like, or something like that. I'm like, right, Eth? Like we were just kind of chirping each other. And he's like, no, I have two. Mm. And never had said that or anything like that to me in his whole life. Mm. And it just, I was like shocked, Mm. right? He's 19 years old. He lives with us full time. He's doing an apprenticeship and just kind of working full time now. What a blessing to have two mothers. Right. And I had never knew he really thought that. We don't really have that type of relationship where we would talk about it, but it just really reaffirmed everything. And sometimes it's like that one sentence when they become an adult, you realize just like how much all of those little things, all those little things add up. Yeah. Cause and effect. Yeah. So good. Now at the end of your book, you're sharing some examples of just situations where there's different parenting styles when it comes to the step parent coming in halfway. And then the, you know, parent who's been there since birth. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how language is really important in blended families. And you notice the language that is used when you're working with people. Can you elaborate on the power of language? You know, it really describes our relationship with people and how we feel about them. If I say my mother's brother, I am declaring this person is not like an uncle to me. This person is my mother's brother. She has a relationship with him. I do not. When I say my husband's kids, I am saying these are his people. These are not my people. When I say my bonus son, or when I say our children, I am now in the fold of being in this family. 
in my house, I do make a distinction in our basement. I will sometimes joke with my husband and say his apartment because I don't want to clean it up. So I want <laughs> to be clear that <laughs> I put it in your apartment. <laughs> like I, I want to make that distinction. But sometimes we're not trying to do that. We're trying to be collective and community focused, but we're using very divisive language. And so the first thing I notice with couples is how they're describing their situation. If it's his, if it's hers, then it's their responsibility to take care of. The kids can feel that and your partner can see it. So if you want it to be something that is ours, you have to change your relationship around that. And if you're not there yet, just use names. Josh, Timothy. Alice, just use names. Instead of your son. Yeah, instead of your son. I mean, it's such a loaded phrase Mm -hmm. that we're saying a lot with that little bit. I only say that when there's pee on the toilet seat. I'll say your son (sighs) peed all over the toilet seat. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's appropriate though. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So many good things. I could talk to you forever. The one thing I want to wrap things up with, because I do know that you know, setting boundaries with family members, whether you're in a blended family or not, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that there is dysfunction in their relationships or they're paying attention to how they're feeling maybe before family gatherings or maybe boundaries aren't being respected with parents. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe give a little bit of a pep talk around just the permission to set that boundary or permission to, you know, break that generational dysfunction, right? Mm. And saying like, you know, this is not going to be how we do things. Like, I know this is how we always have, but I need to step away and working through the shame around it. There is less shame the more that you speak openly about these challenges. That could be with a therapist. It could be with friends. It could be with your partner, other family members, but you have to get it out. You have to find like-minded people. There are so many people who feel the same way as you. There's so much support via podcasts, via books, all of these sorts of things to help you stand firm in your decisions to not operate in dysfunction. When things are new to us, they feel very uncomfortable. And that's because we haven't practiced them. Think about learning to ride in cursive. Think about learning to ride a bike. Think about learning to hold a sippy cup. All of this stuff was very hard at first. But guess what? With practice, we are now drinking out of water bottles. We are riding bikes. We are writing our first and last name in cursive. And boundaries are the same way. We have to practice. If we stop at, oh, I can't make a cue in cursive, then we just won't be writing in cursive. If we stop at, oh my gosh, they didn't like it, we will not be setting boundaries. So you have to keep going. You have to practice it. It's always practice. It's not like one time I set this boundary and my life has changed. No, there will be new boundaries with new situations. So get ready for the practice. And the more you practice, the less discomfort you'll have. Yeah. And then the more you go through it, and if those boundaries aren't respected, you'll feel more power in making changes in those relationships, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, thank you for all of this and for all that you do. You are much needed. And I was saying before we went on the mic, I'm just so grateful that you included a section on, you know, step parenting and blended families in the book because 
there isn't a lot of support out there. As much as the conversation is being normalized and, and we're starting to talk a little bit more about it, there's still not a lot of resources and still kind of a stigma mm-hmm. around it. Despite all the blended families, I still find it so crazy. So many. So many blended families, but yet, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rules don't really apply, right? There needs to be kind of a separate sections in the book. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that you included Absolutely. It's so necessary because as you mentioned, so many of the couples that I work with, they are blended. They are not, in fact, the original parents of children. So it is a very important topic to cover. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we shall keep covering it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Drama Free Guys, your book, anything else you got going on here that you want to share? The new podcast, everything. You're just killing it. Yes, I have a podcast. You need to hear this. And Set Boundaries, Find Peace now has a deck that you can use with your partner, your friends, your blended family members, or whoever. So check out the Set Boundaries deck. Okay, you have to tell me, how does this deck work then? Give me, walk me through this. There are scenarios for you to act out with each other. There are also questions. There are praise statements that you could give to other people. It is a way for you to open up those conversations with your loved ones. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ordering it. Stat, thank you so much. You're welcome. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if this episode resonated with you, I'd be so grateful if you could share it with someone in your life who you think could benefit from it. And if you haven't already left a rating and a review on iTunes, it really is the best way to support the show. And if you're craving more real talk and coaching and community, be sure to check out my membership, the Kick-Ass Stepmom community. Head to www.kickassstepmom.com to learn more.